Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show. Good morning and welcome. You like Tootsie Rolls, don't you? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Today is National Tootsie Roll Day. Come and get your Tootsie Roll. I love you, Tootsie Roll. Tootsie Roll? Tootsie Roll. <laughs> Tootsie Roll. The butterfly, uh-uh, that's all. Let me see the Tootsie Roll. Happy National Tootsie Roll Day. It's showtime. What's the word? Kansas City. A yippee fry yay to the KC Morning Hoes. Talking to you. Talking to you. Also, talking to you. Let's get right to it, shall we? It's a Friday. Woke up a little early this morning. Kitty's still asleep. Had myself one of those uh, marijuana cigarettes. Ooh, real nice. Real nice. So I don't feel like yelling. I don't feel like screaming. We're just going to get right to it. On the show today, my brother, Jared Yates Sexton. He is the author of The Moonrise Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. I love this man. It's election season. Listen to Jared Yates Sexton. You will be better off for it. In fact, you have no choice because that's what we're doing today on your KC Morning Show. Rates, reviews, subscribe. Go ahead and do that thing. Do that thing you do, Kansas City. Back in your feeds on Monday. Yeah, it's a good day to be a Kansas Cityan. Yes, it is a damn good day to be a Kansas Cityan. We will see you in the morning. Bye. the first time on your KC Morning Show. Hopefully, if I don't botch this, the first of many times, this man is an author, he is an educator, a radical, and a pleasure now to call this man a friend. He has written such books as American Rule, How a Nation Conquered the World But Failed Its People. That book, I'm not blowing smoke here, my friend, it changed my life. And he's got a new book, The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. Jared Yates Sexton, for the first time on your KC Morning Show. I mean, I'm going to try really hard not to mark out here, so I'm just going <laughs> to pretend like I'm not. We'll just go forward like that. We also could take walks on the history of professional wrestling. I was going to add that in the intro, but I didn't want to overwhelm the folks. You know, that's almost <laughs> too much to take in. You know, there are about five people right now who are like pumping the fist. And that's, that's the way we want it. We want to give the best product that we can to the people, and we want five people just like basically driving over medians. That's how this thing works. So, Jared, from the midterms to now 2024, here we go. Break this down, man. Set the stage. The economy, of course, isn't great. Things are sort of precarious in a lot of different ways. It should have been an election in which the Republican Party absolutely dominated, except for a couple of things. One, the people showed up. And when I say the people, I don't mean Democratic voters. I don't mean Republican voters. I mean people. I mean people who they look at the Democratic Party. They don't feel great about it. They feel like the Democratic Party doesn't have a lot in the way of answers. They probably don't even approve of somebody like a Joe Biden. But you know what? The Republican Party showed up with a clown car. And this was an election of Trumpists. These were celebrities or pseudo celebrities, I guess I should say. These were unserious people. They were offensive people with offensive ideas about where the country should go. 
they decided maybe I'll go ahead and I'll vote for this person over here, but my God, I'm not going to vote for this person over here. I can't possibly sleep at night doing that. So what we did is we walked away from this situation. It's not like the crisis in America is abated, but this is what I call a breath. This is a moment to kind of take stock of what's happening, what's working, what's not. And my God, at some point or another, you got to hope that the Democratic Party is going to understand where they've gone wrong and where they could possibly right their ship. But we'll see if that happens. When we say the word crisis, we're not using the woke vocabulary of the day. No, we're in an actual crisis. And let's not think that because we did the damn thing on election day that this all stops. No, it does not. It's just another day in the fight that we must continue. Explain this crisis that we're in. Yeah. And and before we get in the crisis, one thing that I always want to reiterate, and you're absolutely right when you say that, which is elections are not ends. Voting in an election is the absolute minimal requirement of a liberal democracy. There's so much more that has to happen, whether or not that's organizing, engaging in solidarity, making sure to engage in civic duties and or holding people accountable. This crisis is occurring. And I want to go ahead and I want to explain this in a way that is both partisan, but not partisan, because we're at a moment right now. And I think everybody can feel it. Everybody can understand that the current consensus, the current system as it works, doesn't work. It has reached a terminal point. I always say that it's because, of course, concentrated capital. We have individuals who can just, you know, buy newspapers or, I don't know, social media companies while also fielding their own, you know, space programs. And when you're looking at that, eventually things just don't work. And we're currently living in what can be considered a neoliberal consensus. Starting in the late 70s, 1980s, we started to see social programs getting cut. The government was more concerned with redistributing literally tens of trillions of dollars from poor people to the wealthiest people and completely upending society while building a world economy that took away a lot of jobs and also created terrible conditions for people that were still suffering from. That's getting worse by the day. And the fact that that's getting worse has led to a point where people have lost faith in their institutions, as they should, and they're looking for answers. And the problem is right now that the only answers that are being offered are by authoritarians, anti-democratic actors and forces and movements that are interested in destroying democracy in any sort of veneer of it that we have and creating a more, there's no other way to put it, techno-feudalist state in which you get rid of the votes of the people in order to more or less honor white supremacy, exploitation, and rule by a few elites. And, you know, I used to talk about this, Harzel, and and people would say, oh, this is hysterical hair pulling. And suddenly now you look around and people are like, well, I don't know, maybe something like that is happening. I can feel it. You know, it's like being on a plane and you're like, something's wrong here. And we're reaching a point in which something is going to change. The question is, how is it going to change? Where is it going to go? And who makes the decision? How is it going to change? And the problem is right now, there's an authoritarian movement on the right, which is offering the only possible solutions. There has to be something from a resurgent left, in my opinion. And I mean, it's not like we don't have some of these answers. We've got a progressive playbook that works. I mean, FDR warned against this. He said, we don't invest in your folks and they feel like they've got nowhere to go. They they look for these these strong men for answers. I mean, this is not a surprise to anybody. 
Yeah, and I want to go ahead and say real fast, I'm glad you brought up FDR, because one of the things we need to understand is that the previous consensus was the New Deal consensus. And this lasted, of course, from FDR in the 30s all the way into the 70s. It was the idea that the government should invest in projects that make the citizens' lives better and that they should be there to like make sure that businesses didn't take advantage of them and that they weren't being exploited to the point where they could make a living. Well, guess what? The 1970s, 1980s, the brakes get beat off that. And to the point where now you shouldn't expect the government to help you. And any social program is now considered socialist tyranny. It is a change that not a lot of Americans understand has happened. And to go off of what you were just saying, I was having a conversation uh, last night during the coverage of this thing. We were talking about Barack Obama. And I'm going to go ahead and say this, and and I'm sure it's going to raise some hairs on the back of people's heads. I'm talking about Barack Hussein Obama II, right? The first black president of the United States of America, who, by the way, won in the presidential election of 2008. He won Indiana. He won Indiana, my home state, which is unthinkable, except for this. He went into Indiana and he said, you know what? I think something happened in the 1980s to your jobs and to the political environment. And I want to talk about how we can possibly make things better. And all of a sudden you looked up and a bunch of Hoosiers and listen, Indiana was at one point, and I'm not exaggerating here, people want to check the history, was literally run by the Ku Klux Klan. It is not a racially progressive state. But a lot of people said, you know what? I think I might give this guy a chance. I might actually see if he has some solutions that could possibly make things better. And what you find is, is that a lot of the people who aren't voting, they have given up hope on anybody talking to them. They've given up on anybody possibly representing them. They think that democracy has been co-opted, which it has. They think that the government has no interest in helping them, which they don't. And they, they don't have a reason to show up at the polls. Now, somebody like Donald Trump, who came along and said, you know, this party is full of shit, this party is full of shit, that to them was like, oh, yeah, that's somebody speaking my language. It doesn't mean he was real. He was absolutely exploiting them. And he was actually, and people don't like talking about this, Trump running for president in many ways ran to the left of the Democratic Party and to the right of the Republican Party. He didn't mean any of it. He ended up getting into office and giving tons of money to billionaires. I think trillions of dollars actually got redistributed in four years. But the lie alone was enough to activate some people and get them inspired to come to the polls. It's that progressive agenda that you're talking about going back to at least FDR and a place where we can expect the government to actually look out for us and not to redistribute our money to already billionaires in order to try and turn them into a billionaire, trillionaire, oligarchical class. That's what gets people to the polls. It's when you try, as the Democratic Party has for years now, to defend institutions that everybody understands are corrupted, co-opted and absolutely falling apart. That's when you struggle. And I want to say real fast for anybody listening, the Democrats didn't have a good showing during the midterms. The voters had a good showing at the midterms. They said to the Democratic Party, we're going to give you two years to try and write this ship and give us something better, to offer us something that is actually palatable and edible. And, you know, the clock is ticking. There's no other way to put it. They're on the clock right now. Before I let you go, maybe I'm just being nosy because I've got it sitting in my cart and I want to know what's going to be in the pages. The Midnight Kingdom, a history of power, paranoia, and the coming crisis. Give me a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Can we get a little something? <laughs> well, that's kind. So basically, I wanted to understand like where we were and where we were going. So I had to go back into history. I had to relearn basically the history of the modern world and so-called Western civilization. So I started with Rome. And basically, I wanted to understand how we got the laws that we had 
but also how power was distributed. And what I learned very, very quickly was that the conspiracy theories and the stories that are, are currently affecting our lives, everything from QAnon to the big lie of the election of 2020 to what the Republican Party is doing and this worldwide authoritarian movement that we're all watching coalesce, I noticed that these are cycles throughout history. They are noticeable cycles in which the powerful, in order to protect themselves, they spread conspiracy theories and absolute horseshit lies. And once you start to track them, all of a sudden, Hartzell, you start to understand how power works. You start to understand that we are currently in this moment where literally, and and listen, I'm not going to sit here and and apologize for the Democratic Party. I have my quibbles with them. I turned in my membership to the Democratic Party years ago. But the Republican Party right now represents a conspiracy theory, white supremacist, authoritarian movement. It is basically a PR front for some of the wealthiest people who are trying to dismantle democracy and roll back the entire progress of the 20th century. And when I say that, I want to be very clear about something. We're not just talking about Roe v. Wade. We're not just talking about gay marriage. We're not just talking about affirmative action. We're talking about everything from regulations that make sure that you are safe in your workspace. I'm talking about keeping children out of mines and keeping children out of factories, because what is actually happening is a rolling back of history, which is how fascism, authoritarianism, Caesarism, whatever we want to call it, that's how it works. And so this is the story of how those cycles happen and how we are currently, if you want to imagine as a roller coaster, we are up near the top of the roller coaster and we're looking down and we don't know where we're going. That means that we have to understand it, we have to recognize it, and we have to fight. And we got to understand, going back to what we started talking about, it's more than just voting. It's making sure that we organize, engage in solidarity, and we're fighting for a better future. Because I got to tell you, the people on the other side, they're fighting really, really hard. They have a head start and they have a direction that they have decided to go in. And that direction is nightmarish. Jared Yates Sexton. Plug the handles. Where can folks go to find you? Follow all your work. Put some more of those books in the carts. Plug every handle, all the shows. Yeah, I'm over on Twitter. I'm at JY Sexton. My sub stack is Dispatches from a Collapsing State. And I'm the co-host of the Buck Creek Podcast. And uh, I got to tell you, man, this has been an absolute joy. I'm a huge fan of yours. And uh, yeah, again, just totally marking out. I'm going to slide away before I embarrass myself. When you, like me, can't find yourself ready quite to go to bed, you got to throw on a WrestleMania something. Jared Yates Sexton, what's your go-to? And why is the answer obviously WrestleMania 17, Rock v. Austin 2? I do that whenever I want to get excited. But man, if I if I really if I want to slide off into dreamland, I'm putting on WrestleMania 3, Macho Man and Steamboat. There's no substitution. Nothing at all.
Morning Show.